So I'm going to turn it over to you. And thank you so much for being here. Thank you, my brother. Bless Appreciate you. it. And, and thank you for inviting me to your country. Uh, rather than beginning with uh, talking about America or Britain or abortion, I will not. I refuse. I just thought of it. I refuse to give abortion the center stage. Jesus Christ is the center stage. So turn in your Bible to Titus chapter 2. I'm going to read a passage that many pastors in America, today is Pro-Life Sunday in America, Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. So as I'm speaking to you now, in five hours, there will be thousands upon thousands of pastors speaking about abortion, the need to be involved, and the need to share Christ. And unfortunately, in as I mentioned, 90% of the pregnancy centers in America, Christ will not be shared. And that to our shame. But if you have your Bible, Titus 2, look down at verse 13, I believe. Let's see, 12, 13. Looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good works. These things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Continuing to chapter 3, remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But when the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of the deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Now, if I stop there, I could tell you everything about the pro-life movement in America, everything that I've seen in the last two weeks about the pro-life movement and about church in Britain, I could tell you what it's like to be uh, without Christ. I could tell you what you should be like in Christ, how you should act toward your fellow man, how you should be bold to speak against the greatest moral evil that I believe we have in the 20th and 21st century, which is abortion, and how to do it lovingly and how to share Christ with people so we may replicate what we have been shared. This is a very interesting topic that we have. And as I mentioned, I don't want to give the pulpit to Satan to speak about abomination. And that's what abortion is. There is no reason for any abortion for in any stage because God doesn't have two lists. God created life and he wants life to continue. Now, with that said, I'm going to begin with a statement. If you or someone you know has had an abortion, 
Remember closely that there's no sin that God cannot forgive. We forget that, and because we forget that, thousands of pastors in my country do not speak about abortion for fear that they would injure someone in their congregation. We gladly speak about alcoholism and mental illness, which is not a sin, but we'll speak about all types of maladies that people have, whether they're sin or whether they're physical disabilities, and we speak openly about them. And in your country, and I might say, may I just interject what I've seen in your country? I've seen two things that rise to the top. Besides Marmite and Marmalade and the, the, the extreme passion you have for bacon and beans in the morning, uh, I've never seen that in my country. But what I've seen is, not only with your pastor, but with every Christian, you spend a lot of time in prayer. You don't just say, Lord, bless this guy from America. Amen. You really spend time in prayer. This is something that I've seen consistently. The other thing, I took a walk in London with the CBR group, um, Rebecca uh, Collins and Dave and others that you know, um, and I was uh, surprised. I've seen the big clock and pointed to it. I've seen the River Thames. I've seen Parliament. I saw the royal jewels, but I couldn't take a picture because they wouldn't allow me. I've been all over, and I will go to Scotland uh, and get shortbread. But the one thing I saw was darkness in London. Darkness that exceeded what I've seen. I'm 73 in America. I've seen pockets of it, but I saw it all over. And I see from different eyes, folks. This country needs Christ. This country needs change. And God is working. I'm encouraged. For too long, people have separated uh, themselves, even from Christians, uh, because of this issue of abortion. And they separated from the gospel. So here in Britain, I hear that the churches don't speak about it because it's not really an issue. And in America, we overspeak about it and have made the unborn baby God. Absolutely. Many pastors will be speaking about abortion from the degree that it is a moral evil, sharing some of the scripture that I'll share, uh, but not finishing or even beginning with the thought or the truth that God is a loving God, that he forgives sin, that he's not willing that any should perish, that he desires people to come to him, that he calls them to him, and that there's no sin that God won't forgive. And for too long, we've put abortion into this nebulous category that you shouldn't do it, but if you do it, then it's a stigma, and perhaps you'll be forgiven. In my country, uh, and in your country, there are pregnancy centers that probably wouldn't talk graphically showing an abortion picture because it would injure the woman. We do it all the time. We do it because I believe our volunteers are capable as Christians to share the love of Christ and compassion to warn people of something before they do it. And I know they're glad for it all the time. They tell us that. They're looking and desiring for that. The greatest thing I've seen in America is if you go into a prison, a woman's prison, and you want to stand up and talk about abortion, they'll say, bring it on, brother. We want to hear this guy. Because many have been injured by abortion, and no one speaks for them. No one. We'll speak for everything. Now, you all know we'll speak for charities, and we'll speak for climate change, and we'll speak for everything 
some good, some indifferent, but we'll speak up for everything. But we won't speak up for the unborn, and we will not love with a loving compassion the woman who had abortion. I had cancer surgery, and the doctor didn't say, Dean, you have some choices. In fact, here's a mirror. Hold it up to you and see which of these choices would you like. Do you like pain? Do you like to go home and do nothing about it? And I asked the doctor, I said, if I go home and do nothing about it, he told me boldly, we won't have this conversation in nine months. You won't be here. I said, what should I do? He said, well, here's a a bunch of things you could do. You could have this surgery, that surgery, that surgery. And that's what we do at the pregnancy center. Do not destroy your child, but you can have your child. Place your child for adoption. My son Jeremy's 37. His mother was in jail. Only one thing she could do, go to get an abortion or wait nine months and place it in the hands of someone else. That's a hard thing, I think, for women to do. She did the noble thing, and my son considers that noble, and I do too, and it was the right thing. And now I have a wonderful son. So in America, we're loud, and what I've seen in Britain, you're polite. Those God does not give a pass because you're loud or political or you're right-wing in America, or you vote for Donald Trump, or Joe Biden, or you live in the middle of the country, or you're white, or you're black, or you're young, or you're old, or you're a woman, and he doesn't give a pass for being polite. Forgive me if I insult you, but I've insulted enough people that I'm sending back a general email forgiveness and posting it on WhatsApp. So we don't have to be personal. I'll just send it to you, and you could promote it. Uh, The quietness sometimes would allow people to suffer. We cannot be quiet while people are suffering all around us and while people in our churches are suffering. I believe Satan wants two things. He wants, one, less people to come to know Christ. And then once they know Christ, he wants them and others to do things like abortion to destroy the future generation. And, and I see that just in, in, in large part, and then I'm going to get into some other things from the Scripture. But in America, we have something with race. We believe that uh, African Americans and Hispanics and immigrants are so in need of abortion. They're not. And we target them. We do. And most abortion facilities are in communities of color. In Britain... I noticed there's just one targeted group so far, and that's people with Down syndrome. I don't understand that. But each country and each group has its flavor because Satan doesn't care if we're loud, obnoxious, racist, or you're polite and compassionate towards people who might have Down syndrome. So for too long, we've done it. It's an assault on God. John Piper said, abortion assaults and demeans God. That's it. Yes, it demeans women. It's a child killing. It's an abomination in Scripture, although the word's not there. Uh, I believe it was the pregnant women that were torn open, and God would not forgive the pregnant women of Gilead. The Scripture says, I believe, and it's in Amos, for three things God would not forgive because they increased their borders. And what are we doing in America and in Britain? We're increasing our bank accounts by aborting. And we have this false love. If you love someone, you'll be with them and help them to do the right thing, the God thing. 
how God planned and brought about a plan to forgive people who've committed the ultimate outrage of discounting his glory and treating them as less than valuable. That's the gospel. God is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. And he hasn't not included this large group of people in America, a million people each year, 67 million people since 1973. I think it's 10 million in your country. It's a worldwide evil. Um, Four things I want to leave you with or share with you, if I may. Uh, The first is that life begins at conception. Your pastor read that, shared that with you. I think we uh, know that. Genesis 4.1, the man Adam had relations with his wife Eve. She conceived, gave birth to a son. There's a close pairing between conception and birth. Clearly, from this passage, if you do it right in in tearing it apart, we see conception and birth are linked together. Um, David said, in sin, my mother conceived me. David isn't saying that his mother had a sinful relationship in which he was conceived. He said, clearly, he had sin in his soul, in his nephesh. And that clearly shows to me life of conception because in order to have life, And sin, you have to have a soul. That's where sin resides, a soul. So if you have a soul, then you have life. And if he had a soul at conception, life begins at conception. And you say, well, show me biologically. Well, they're getting real close in terms of that. But we're not God. We need to trust God. We need to look at 18 days, there's a heartbeat. 41 days, there's a brainwave. We still don't see that. We just have abortion on demand in America, throughout the world. We see God clearly has his eye on us. And now we see it from the lens of the sonogram. We see the baby. And I share and show that baby. The only thing that separates a no decision is the woman says, I know it's a baby, but I have to. And what is that problem called? It's a three-letter word. Starts with S ends with N, and the middle letter is I. It's sin. It's me. And that's the only thing. But the gospel changes lives. I've seen people in jails. I've seen people from other countries. Their lives have been changed by the gospel. I don't believe we could do successful pro-life work to stop abortion anywhere without the sharing of the gospel. All you're doing is you're sharing techniques. It's just worldly techniques, and you're really telling this person that everything is okay. And what they'll do is they'll hear you, and they'll follow you because they're desperate. The next time, they'll abort. You cannot do it without sharing Christ. In the Bible, we uh, have double talk. We um, Not in the Bible, we don't have double talk as we do now. Samuel, when uh, the woman conceived, Bathsheba did not say, I have a fetus. She said in Hebrew, I am pregnant. Baby, we don't like that word, so we use fetus. We did that in World War II, as we referred to Jewish people. We did that during slave terms. They were chattel in America. No, they're human beings. We call them four-fifths of a person. So what is that, the leg, the arm? Which one are you dismissing? They're not human. We put them on display with chains. And that's why Wilbur Wilberforce, in your country showed that clearly that this is a person. I am a man. We see in the Old Testament, we see in the New Testament, 
John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. Luke one thirty one, you shall conceive in your womb and bear a son. Again, close pairing. Luke one forty one. I love this passage because Elizabeth hears Mary's greeting of the baby in her womb, and Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit, and the baby jumps for joy. You have humanity there. You have recognition of a zygote by a fetus, a six-month-old fetus. John the Baptist is looking at a zygote and thanking God for that. I, I think this is amazing stuff here. Um, and we know that. You say, how do you know it's six months? Because it was a six-month journey. Do your Bible training there. And we know that. We absolutely know that. But do we believe it? We see that Paul, the Apostle Paul, was set aside, who set me apart. When? Even from my mother's womb. Jeremiah as well. Secondly, because I'm moving along like a herd of turtles, there are no exceptions. Birth defects, rape, incest, or the life of the mother. I will give you the notes. There are many notes to it. But basically, Exodus, Moses wanted to cop out. I I really can't speak well. And what did God say? Moses said, I'm slow of tongue. God said, who made the human mouth? Who makes one unable to speak or deaf or able to see or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? So every time we see a blind person or a deaf person or a person who is unable to do the things we are able to do, who made them? God did. They're not second-class citizens. We can't remove them. Down syndrome, really? Are you? Are we serious? Cleft palate, are we really serious that we actually have the the idea that we should and could, why? Because they, they shame us because we don't have that. And we still, and this is another person, uh, haven't found what we're looking for. I think that's another. He's not a Brit, but he has said that. And because we're still searching for God, we can target someone who we think is less than us. It's amazing, isn't it? that those are the exceptions. The exceptions are somebody who looks different or acts different, who probably I'm better than. Or the rape and incest. I'm so compassionate to help the woman who's been raped or a part of incest. Did you know that a woman 14 to 17 years old who has an abortion, as a re- any abortion, will not be able to conceive again, ever, and bear a child? So every time you say rape and incest, you're saying, oh, you were raped, and maybe, maybe you did something wrong, but we'll solve your problem. We'll abort your baby. So you've chained her twice. The first one by saying she did something wrong when she didn't. She was a victim. And secondly, and there's the verses, and you can see them for yourself if you get the notes. Uh, If a man finds a girl in the betrothed and he sees her and rapes her, uh, you are not to do anything to the girl. There's no sin worthy of the girl. That shows that from the scripture or the child. Rape is a crime. And victims of rape shouldn't be raped a second time. And if you think about it, that helps the person who has done the rape because they get rid of the evidence. He's held a captive twice. Genesis, Lot's daughters. Uh, we see that there's no mention of Moab or Ammon punished. Yes, they may have turned out right or wrong, but they weren't punished for that. The children are not bearing the, the penalty. 
Now, let's get right to saving the life of the mother. Exodus 21, turn to it, please. Exodus 21, 22 to 23. I don't want to miss this because in uh, Bible school, I, I learned this and learned the Hebrew and learned the, the clarity of it, tremendous clarity. If you have one verse that talks about the life of the mother or abortion, this is it. Exodus 21 to 22 and 23. It makes clear that the accidental death of an unborn child in the womb should be punishable life for life because the child and the mother are equal. So here's the scenario. Two men are fighting. Usually it's over a soccer match or football match or whatever. Here they're fighting, and a pregnant woman who's having twins, clearly in the Hebrew she's having twins, and she's probably later in the pregnancy, clearly, and she intervenes and she's struck. Now, if she's injured, there's going to be a penalty to be paid because of the early delivery of her child. If she early delivers, there's money involved here. If there's pain and suffering and injury, then it's punitive according to what it is. And if that child dies, he dies. She doesn't die. He dies. That's the penalty. What would be the penalty for every abortion in American Britain for those who committed it, for those who assisted in it. In fact, in the early church throughout, the Didache, uh, Athenagoras, uh, Synod of Elvira, if anyone had an abortion, they were excommunicated until their deathbed. That's how important it was, because abortion was considered, uh, I believe it was Chrysostom who said, worse than murder. And then throughout, Bonhoeffer and Calvin, there is no one up until 1960 that had a legitimate argument that could even be spoken about abortion until Satan turned this world all around. And we forgot church history, your beautiful buildings. We forgot those buildings. And I hear sometimes they turn them into nightclubs, which is horrible. We forgot the people in those. We forgot the people all around us. Medical knowledge, you know that, you can learn that. In our country, there was a man, Dr. Guttmacher, head of Planned Parenthood. He said, there's no reason for an abortion to save the life of the mother because we have the medical technology. He said that in 1964 in America, he was the head of Planned Parenthood, which is the largest abortion provider. There's no secular reason. And they know it, I know it, you need to know it. Rape, incest, save the life of the mother, fetal abnormalities is called incremental. I can't get you to do something. It's called grooming if it was a pedophile, and that's what they're doing. They're saying, well, you're not going to buy abortion in the ninth month where you could go to Hackensack, New Jersey, and today is Sunday. But yesterday, you could go at 9 a.m. and get an abortion at eight and a half months, legally. We're not going to talk to you about that. We want to talk about rape and incest and saving the life of the mother and, and fetal abnormalities. Why? Because they're, they're passionate words. And surely we care, Dean. You can't just give these people the gospel. They, they have pro No, you can give them the gospel and you give them truth because you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. You don't need sonograms. You need the word of God to see that baby. Sonograms help. Everything helps in my country. Um, again, throughout church history, thirdly, we've tolerated, accommodated, and justified. We tolerated th things. When I 
proposed to my wife, who went to be with the Lord recently, I didn't get on one knee and say, I tolerate you. I said, I love you. I tolerate broccoli. (laughs) I do not and barely tolerate marmite, which, forgive me, rhymes with termite. (laughs) I don't want to accommodate, and I don't want you to accommodate with something. In other words, we have to live with it. So let this happen. Forget about preaching in the Bible. So when the homosexual is all around London and I saw them, and you invite them in, which you should, accommodation would be let's change what we've done to accommodate because we so love them. If you so love them, give them the gospel. I've known and and have friends who are gay. They need Christ and they know it. They don't have Christ. They don't have Christ. And justifying, that's a social political issue in America. These people are nuts. They're loud. There's a Donald Trump and Joe Biden thing going on. Or we're quiet and reserved. We don't talk about it. And our government doesn't either. And our church doesn't either. Nobody talks about it. So why again did you come here from America? I forgot. Oh, oh, you wanted to talk about abortion. That's a non-issue. It's not a non-issue. As the greatest moral and religious issue, Satan loves it when we are silent. And when we keep silent, he loves it. Proverbs 24, 11 to 12, we say, I didn't see anything. God says, you saw, and I'm going to reward you for what you see. God sees what we do and what we don't do. And we are going to be given the just penalty for what we don't do. We're deceived. Human sacrifice is always condemned. Leviticus, 2 Kings, Psalm 106, Amos one thirteen. Keep going. There's so much there. Righteousness exalts what a nation, but sin is a a reproach to all people. You're not helping the country. And basically, you're not helping the person there. My only desire and love when I go places is the baby and the mom. Really. And preaching Jesus. Everything else... We'll add to it. And that's what I live for. That's what I love doing. People need to know the truth. And finally, Francis Schaeffer said, the greatest accommodation in the world of our age, the evangelical world, uh, the greatest sin really is accommodation. If our action is always to accommodate, regardless of the centrality of the truth, there's something wrong. And there's something wrong with evangelical faith when we refuse to stand for truth. We have forgotten this book. We don't bring it. We don't know it. We don't read it. We don't memorize it. We don't use it. We don't live it. Many times. Other times we do. That was the ugly American speaking for a second. But often in America, we do not use this book. We use Gnosticism, philosophy, and other forms of manipulation. And that's what they are to women who are hurting. If you're hurting, you don't need Gnostic approach. You don't need the indirect approach. You need the direct approach in love. And I'm sorry, after being here two weeks, I will not be charged with being a loud American who screams and shouts. We tone it down, and we know how to do it when we're talking to women. And if I may say this politely, you guys don't get a pass because you're proper and gentle and can butter, you know, crumpet. I like that. 
but you don't get a pass for saying nothing. They shall answer and say, our hands are, have not shed this blood, neither have our eyes seen it. Deuteronomy 21.7. We didn't do it. We didn't even see it. And that's the keep it out of my church. We don't have it in this church. We don't have it on the street. The government's not talking about it. It's just those nutty people in America. And yeah, there's exceptions, and it's a complicated issue. Death is not complicated. Life is not complicated. It's miraculous and, uh, and tremendous. But the death of a child should move anyone. And once we've gotten to that point, we've gone way too far. 19 of 20, um, even the Greek, uh, Greek empire, empires that have ruled have fallen on two things, their view of life and their view of sexuality. We're hitting both of those buttons. So you folks and I are in the 5%. And we're hoping that the culture of our age will survive. It may not. Forget about it, it being in America or in Britain. It may or may not survive. And finally, what is our selection? Rescue the weak and needy. Deliver them out of the hand of the wicked. Can you say there's someone more needy than an unborn child who can't speak for themselves? And you know they're unborn, and you know they're a child, because they're in the womb, and we see the sonogram, and we see the child pulling back from the needle or the knife or whatever. How much more do you need to know graphically, or visually, or biblically? Forget politics. Forget social work. Forget angry Americans. Whoever shuts their eyes to the cry of the poor will also cry out and not be answered. Whole countries, bless me, Lord. In fact, let's all sing the blessing. How do you like that? I've been blessed. You've been blessed. God is good all the time. All the time God is good. Yes, those are all true. But God wants us to know this verse. Deuteronomy 30, 19. I call heaven and earth to witness against you that I placed before you life and death. He placed it. The blessing and the curse. Aha, the blessing. I heard about that song. So choose life in order that you may live, you and your descendants. Every time you hear that song, you should say, what about choosing life? What should I do? Rescue the weak and needy, deliver them. Who may dwell in the tent of the Lord? He who has clean eyes and is not a reprobate. And you say, well, my eyes have seen something, but I haven't participated. My ears have heard something but I'm shutting my ears. <clears throat> Deliver those who are being taken away to death. Hold them back. I, I really didn't know. Will God not consider who weighs the hearts? Does he not know who keeps your soul? And will he not render to you according to your work? I asked a Hebrew scholar from Egypt, can this be really uh, babies in the womb? He said, well, it's probably written to prisoners, but also most certainly is applicable to any injustice where the person is falsely imprisoned. And an unborn baby falsely imprisoned in the womb who is killed. Now, they're not falsely imprisoned in the womb. They're growing in their mother's womb. And there's two lives now. I have a right to my body. No. Biblically, biologically, 
we can't do it. We could have a person, in a, a woman in a coma. She could deliver the child and they could work on that because of something called fetology. If you know any nurse, say, I learned the big word in church today. Church, of all places, fetology. What is that? Study of the fetus. Fetus, really? I thought they weren't unimportant. When that baby is conceived, the growth of that baby throughout, we can't see it. Psalm 139, but it's there. It's there and... That baby is alive in his mother's womb. And when we do something against that, we're really attacking God. That's basically it. Let's not say we're attacking the government or the government is not attacking us. Pastors who won't preach about that and preach about the Great Commission, uh, they're leaving something out. They really are. Are we going to stress abortion? No. You could go the other way and forget about everything else. It's what is the key? The glory of God. If the key is attacking the glory of God through abortion, then the answer is the glory of God, not lifting up pro-life. We're doing that in America. We've removed the Bible throughout America, and we're lifting up. You have to have a wedding ring. You can't be with that person. That person's an enemy. That person owns a gun. That person doesn't own a gun. We're all pro-life but we're not consistent. And what would you do? I can't do anything about pro-life except keep speaking and yelling and shouting. And I won't support the pregnancy center. And when I do, and I've had this happen, you better not share the gospel because it's ineffective. I've been told that by people who've come. They've come from pregnancy centers and told it's totally ineffective because they're going to abort. Don't talk about Jesus. And we do. And we have. And God has blessed we're very tiny, as, as Dan will tell you, but we're just doing the same thing again and again, day after day. And I found after doing that, that what is true in this book is true about life, missions, and the people that I love, the people right in front of me. So if I say I see immigrants who've crossed the border and come to Elizabeth, New Jersey, there will be a group of people that will tell me that... Um, that's wrong, because we should build a wall. I don't know how to build a wall around a pregnant woman with her two children who's wearing no shoes and walks into our place. I don't know how to do that. So what I do is we help that person to have that baby, and we talk about Jesus. Now, if in politically you want to build walls or you want to stop something, fine. But that person is in front of me, and God has sent that person from 47 different nations in a tiny pregnancy center, we've seen women do it. If you just get out of God's way and stop thinking you know everything and perceive that, just get into his scripture, get into the Bible. Love God first because lost lives matter to God. There's a real place of heaven. There's a real place called hell. I mentioned my wife, went to be with the Lord, 44 years of marriage in May 8th. She's there because of the love of Jesus and her response to that love. It's a sure hope. I'm looking forward to that. It's not just hope. It's a sure hope. You have a sure hope. Look at the sure hope you have. If one of you folks don't know Christ, and it's possible, or are running from him, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to him. God loves you. He doesn't want you to continue in this condition. He will hold your hand, and he is for you, not against you as we sing. But 
he wants you to repent. And that's a word that's not used in our country. And if you're a Christian here struggling, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So if we know this and we follow it and believe it, we could live it and we'll be prepared for that time when the Lord takes us. My wife was taken instantly. Night before I saw her, she took me to work. She died of a cardiac arrest instantly, completely healthy. And the preacher the day before said, in this room, there's somebody who's the next person to die. He wasn't being melodramatic or showy. And that person was my wife. Nobody knew it. And at her funeral, we mentioned that as well. And that song, The Goodness of God, you don't know Christ until those darkest nights. He is your friend like no other. Get into God's Word. Let God's Word get into you. Straighten out your life now. You don't know about tomorrow, but you do. The good things we know, but you don't know if you have tomorrow. Let me pray with you. Father, I thank you for this wonderful group of people. Abortion's a big issue, but it really is about the goodness and graciousness of God. And on this so-called pro-life Sunday in America, as we speak about the baby, I want to speak about the goodness of God and the glory of God and the majesty of God by sending Jesus into this world to save sinners like me. And if that is the case, and that is the case, then how can I possibly turn around and condemn someone else? Such as those were I, but you were loving, and you washed and regenerated me and prepared me for that eternal hope. Bless these folks, Father. Work in their hearts. Help them to have a soft heart. In Christ's name, amen.